This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey there, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast. Uh, the best bits from Wednesday, November the 23rd. Coming up, we will hear from Dr. Amanda Nyman Peters from Hult International Business School. Uh, we asked Amanda to join us to try and make sense of the Bob saga. Yeah, ex Disney boss. Bob Iger making a shock return to the firm less than a year after he retired. Bob Chapek making way for Bob Iger. All the Bobs. So we got uh, Amanda to come in and explain a little bit more to us about this. So why she's an expert in behavioural science and the Professor of Leadership, as you said, at Halt International Business School. Uh, also joining us was Alex Lee. Alex is the Chief Commercial Officer, the CCO of Jamira Groups. They have plenty going on at the moment, lots of openings to look forward to, which uh, he touched on. But we also focused on the present and looking at the influx of football supporters into all of their properties at the moment, how they're catering for them and what they can expect throughout the rest of the tournament. Daniel Richards, the Senior Economist at Emirates MBD, also joined us this morning. Uh, why latest numbers out with regards to the UAE economy? We got him to run the line and crunch those numbers for us. What we found out was that the economy is set to grow by more than 6% this year, according to the IMF. And we also had that UAE 2031 vision, a big old financial aspect to that vision. So Daniel helped us work all of that out. But there was one story that was dominating the chat in the studio, and no big surprise, it was that Saudi Arabia victory. And the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia with that famous victory, in fact, the biggest shock in World Cup history, not just in our opinion, but in the opinion of analysts and pundits the world over against the powerhouse that is Argentina. That has got everyone talking here in the region and further afield. So we reflected on all of those stories and more right here on The Business Breakfast. It's a big day of data. We've got interest rate rises. We've got warnings from the OECD. We've got a new IMF GDP prediction for the UAE. And we've got this. Too good. He's still going now, I think. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a goodie, isn't it? Um, and it is. It, 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 it's been called, hasn't it? Uh, it is statistically the biggest World Cup shock like ever um, and that's not major saying it as well it's the data company Nielsen Grace Note so take it up with them um, it's beaten the United States win over England in 1950 I remember it well <laughs> uh, it's been rated the biggest shock in World Cup history um, why and how on earth can they claim this one apparently uh, they have this platform going who knew uh, that's been running for years and years and years, probably since 1950, in fact, uh, to work out what is the greatest um, uh, uh, World Cup uh, shock of all time. Uh, and this comes out on top. So this is Saudi Arabia beating Argentina 2-1. I watched it yesterday. You watched it yesterday, Tom. And I know we're the business breakfast and we don't do sport, but this has massive cultural and social significance, I would argue. This, this is a 
business breakfast story. But let Brandy Scott be the arbiter of that. Tom, you and I are football fans, so it's obviously massive for us. Brandy, you're not a football fan. What's your take? It's a headline, isn't it? It's a headline absolutely everywhere. Um, If it's making global headlines, it's a story. And the business of sport is a story. We speak to sports lawyers. We speak to marketing people. We speak to advertising people. So, yes, it is. I would say it's a destination marketing story as well. We know Saudi Arabia is throwing a lot of money at destination marketing. You can see uh, it on the Shakeside Road as you drive along. <laughs> you absolutely can. You can see it when, when you're watching the telly on BN Sports. You can, you, I've been watching the adverts yesterday. And that's fine and it works and they're investing in infrastructure. But this is organic. You can't buy this. You literally can't. I mean, I know there's corruption in FIFA. You cannot buy a result like this. Saudi Arabia, Tom, were just a better team, weren't they? Yeah. And I mean, what? This is the Argentina team uh, that played the UAE a week ago. UAE got beaten 5-0 uh, on that occasion. That gives you an idea of the strength of that Argentina team. Because the UAE hold their own against Saudi Arabia. Um, but just, it, 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 it shows the endless possibilities of the World Cup. Is that there is no, there's no such thing as a given at a World Cup competition. Everyone can have their day. Uh, Saudi Arabia certainly did. They were they're the better fans. They were better on the day. They wanted it more. They played, aggre- they played attacking, aggressive football. And they're just up for it. <laughs> they were brilliant, weren't they? And I know that's not a business term, but they were well up for it. And Argentina weren't. They just didn't come to the party. And they just showed... And Argentina teams, one thing you can always get from Argentina, you, you, you know, one of the reasons Argentina is revered as one of the greatest footballing nations of all time is they have this extraordinary skill and guile, but they've also got bite. And when, things are, when, the, when the things are down, they bite back. They didn't yesterday. And I don't know if that's got to do with condition. I think they were just shocked by the environment. I think, the, I think there were 12 players on that field, and I know that's another football... Let's get as many football cliches as we can into uh, in the entire show today. But there were, there were more than 12 players on the field yesterday because the Argentinian fans were outnumbered um, by the Saudi fans. And as the Saudi fans just... I mean, they showed belief from the beginning, but they just got louder and louder and louder. And by the end of it, it was deafening. Uh, by the, and again, why are we playing 15 minutes of extra time every single game as well? That's, What's going on? That's weird. That, that's a discussion for off script, <laughs> but it, it is a bit weird. But yeah, socially, socially, culturally, not just for Saudi Arabia, but for this region, I felt it was a moment. I really felt... Yeah, I agree. I, I was watching on TV at home. I felt it was a moment. And, and I felt... Um, and forgive me, but I felt proud as someone who's yeah. lived in the Gulf for... 20 odd years yeah I did we it um that's not cultural appropriation it's just well there was an element of me as well that went you know there's there's been you're quite right at pointing out the fact that there's been a lot of naysayers out there going why are they hosting a world cup in the middle east it's ridiculous there's there are so many other places in the world that should be hosting it not why bring the first one to the middle east it doesn't make sense because the weather doesn't make sense because the number of people uh, that play football the rankings of teams here as well it made sense yesterday um and if fifa were looking to take the world cup to new geographies to open up new areas they did that yesterday with that result because that will be the story not just of this World Cup, of many World Cups to come. And it is, as you say, the opening of a brand new chapter here in the region for football. Yeah, my, my 12-year-old who plays football 
ran into the house after school and he'd watched the last few minutes at school saying, Daddy, 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 did you see Saudi Arabia? And do you know, and have you seen as well? So uh, Rich and I, well, when Rich came in this morning, he said, wow, have you ever known a day with so many football stories? Obviously, it was started with um, the Saudi Arabia story. Then we got the Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo story. Then we got the Manchester United story. Then we had a few more World Cup stories after that. But it's interesting, isn't it, that... One of the Cristiano Ronaldo, for those who don't know, Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United getting divorced, they're bad enough with and each other. And it's about the money, isn't it? Well, it's the headlines the money. are about the money. It's all about the money. But also one of the, uh, the headlines that I'm reading this morning, so Cristiano Ronaldo leaving Manchester United with immediate effect. It's over uh, this, this long-term relationship um, because, as Brandy says, the money. Cristiano Ronaldo uh, leaving Manchester United could pave uh, ways to man- for, for Cristiano Ronaldo to go and play his football in... Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. That's one of the headlines this morning. Saudi Arabia and I think Qatar as well might be in the running. Before that result yesterday, we would have gone, yeah, like, right, mate. That's never going to happen. You never know. He's walking away from 16 million. That's what's being left on the table. He's walking into 323 million (laughs) if he goes to play in Saudi Arabia. Serena Kelly, talk to us. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, obviously, again, it's it's football. And I know you've been talking about Saudi Arabia. Um, I actually have Saudi fans for you, delighted after watching their team seal a historic victory. Very nice and good surprise for Messi and for Argentina team. We win. Great performance from a Saudi team and a great game. game. Yes, uh, we have hope, but not 190%. But alhamdulillah, we hope and we get the win. You also have Pizzo Mossimani, the manager of Saudi Arabian side Al-Ahli, and he said it was a huge surprise. The country didn't ex- really expect easily to win, but you know, in football, when you go into the match, as the coaches and players and even the supporters, you believe you can win, mm. and it's possible to win, and they won. So Saudi Arabia play Poland on Saturday, 5 p.m. our time. Argentina meet Mexico the same day at 11 p.m. And again, as... Tom was touching on with Cristiano Ronaldo. Another big announcement last night. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo and Man United parting ways, mutual agreement. In a statement on Twitter, the club thanked him for his immense contribution across two spells at Old Trafford. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo says the time is right for him to seek a new challenge. And this is, of of course, off the back of his interview with Piers Morgan. And, um, yeah, he says his love for the club and its fans will never change. Now, these fans says it's the right time for everyone. Tenag has a process that he wants to play and Ronaldo's not involved, unfortunately. It's about time. It's about time he's going and there was no shock. Thanks very much, but time to go on. Walking out like he did after we win against, um, against Tottenham is no good. It's been a pleasure to watch him live. It's something I will cherish forever. So on a lighter note, though, I'm not sure if you guys caught it yesterday. Cristiano Ronaldo becoming the first person to have 500 million followers on Instagram. Uh, Lino Messi was second, 377 million fans. Kylie Jenner, the most followed female, was third spot overall with 372 million. Who she play for? <laughs> the Kardashians. <laughs> But I do like that we, we did chat about this briefly yesterday. Oh, was it the, the, the Louis Vuitton ad campaign? Uh, it's just a photo, one still photograph of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo playing chess on the back of a Louis Vuitton suitcase. It is a beautiful photograph. Mm. It really is. Yeah. Drove very past nicely it. done. 
I drove past it on the Shakeside Road yesterday. And the one thing I wanted to know was who's winning in the photo? I was driving at a speed that did not. I would not have been popular had I slowed down to have a look. Well, you can find out because it is a replica of a chess game in 2017 between Magnus Carlsen, the Norwegian guy, and one of his opponents, and they've replicated that chess move. And I don't know if knight to king's bishop four is the next move, but um, it is. It is a uh, apparently an iconic chess game. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. On the Business Breakfast now, we are looking at the UAE government's strategic plan for the country's economy over the next decade, the 2031 plan, to talk us through it and the numbers. We've got Daniel Richards, Senior Economist at Emirates NBD. Morning, Dan. Hi, good morning. Let's dig into what has been outlined here the different pillars, but we'll start with the numbers, the targets, starting with GDP, looking to double GDP to $3 trillion by 2031. What kind of growth rates are we going to need to see for that to happen? Yeah, so it's a pretty ambitious target. But when you look at where we were last year, since around 1.5 last year, we're already forecasting it'll hit like 1.8 this year, $2 trillion next year, on the back of a strong growth we're seeing here, right? We forecast 7% growth this year, a K is going to slow. Next year, we're still going to be pretty robust, especially when you compare it to the rest of the world. So it is an ambitious target. But if you carry on at that kind of trajectory, a K maybe this year's pace part can't be maintained. But that steady kind of 3 4% pace, we do think is achievable, especially when you look at the anticipated population growth, right? We've already seen pretty strong uh, population growth over the past year or so. We don't have the, the detailed census data, but you look at things like private school enrollments, they're up like 13% this year. So that will help feed through into that as well. And of course, the government has outlined those population growth target, targets in the past, and that will play a part as well. You guys are forecasting around 7% growth for the UAE economy this year, slightly higher than the IMF's projected 6%. Where are you beyond that? How far do you actually go as a bank? Well, we only go for the next two years. So we'll be doing our um, 2024 um, projections after this because, you know, you can you can drag out by trend growth uh, or the rest, but going too much further, it does become uh, a, a, a lot harder to do with any degree of certainty. But you can look at the trend growth. In any case, we don't publish headline uh, forecasts, but we would expect that kind of uh, 3-4% growth rate potentially to be continued, as I say, on the back of that population growth and in terms of the investment going on. And when you look at things like the uh, PMI surveys, we've had that you know, they indicate the top level in terms of output in the near term, but also when you look at business optimism factors or factors like new orders, that indicates growth coming down the line as well. All right, well, let's have a look at the uh, M in the PMI. The industrial sector has had a big focus in this growth strategy, particularly advanced industry. What's meant by that? Yeah, so that's building on from the industrial product, industrial strategy launched uh, last year, I think it was. So really trying to target those high-value-add industries, whether that's pharmaceuticals or agroponics, all these kind of new, uh, big, you know, it takes a bit more knowledge skill, trying to attract that knowledge base to really build uh, not just uh, petrochems, hydrogen as well, all these kind of higher value uh, industries. So not just your basic manufacturing or your basic heavy industry, but really trying to get a value add, knowledge add in, in those sectors as well. 
Hydrocarbons, hydrogen, uh, making quite a headline in this. Um, part of the, the green energy plan to become one of the top 10 hydrogen producers in the world, which is part of this strategy, what do we need to do? Yeah, I mean, I guess you have to invest heavily, which we seem committed to do, and also co continue attracting that knowledge base, that knowledge talent, which I think with all the various reforms that are going on to help encourage not only um, not only the investment side in terms of making it easier to own companies and such like and to invest uh, in the UAE, but also on the, you know, the visa front, on the uh, social side, all the reforms that are going on all contribute to bringing in that knowledge base, bringing in that money, and that will help uh, lead the way into, in, in any industry with really set their mind on developing, I guess. Where does green hydrogen fit in terms of the plans to, to move away from traditional oil and gas revenues? Yeah, so obviously the, the diversification plan is paramount and we've seen that for years now always aiming to diversify the not just the growth drivers but also the fiscal generators and everything really away from reliance on the oil economy it still accounts for around 28 to 30 percent of GDP and it is still a major force but you need to transition away from that I think everyone is very well aware that transition needs to continue and even if the transition wasn't such a uh, imperative for a planet in terms of moving away from a busted and boom cycles of oil prices as well that is key so but i guess the um you know in terms of it's already a major player in the energy space it makes sense to use that advantage to move into these transition uh, elements such as hydrogen green hydrogen uh, green energy etc yeah there is quite a focus on non-oil exports here in this strategy to bring them up to 800 billion about a third of projected gdp outside of industry and manufacturing what other non-oil exports could we be looking at yeah, so food processing is an is another uh, another potential um, key uh, export we might see getting into, and obviously, as I mentioned, petrochemicals and oils are, are, are always key here. Um, but you know, and we have an advantage here at the moment over. Uh, countries in Europe in particular, for instance, given the very cheap energy supply here. You look at how much the cost of uh, production is going up in economies in Germany, such as Germany, uh, where there's even potential energy shortages. When you look at the cost of energy here, it becomes a very attractive place, notwithstanding the dollar strength, which perhaps offsets that a bit. So it, I think we can look to encourage more, more manufacturing, which could help boost those exports into a wide variety of sectors. 40 seconds left with you, uh, Dan. It's an interesting budget, not just because of the numbers laid out, but the competitiveness of it. You could call it almost the top 10 budget to be the top 10 in terms of attracting talent in the top 10 hydrogen producers in the world, um, in the, uh, the top 10 in a number of other regulation spaces as well. What does that mean, that, that comparison to other nations and the, the desire to move up the ranks? Yeah, I think, you know, when companies are looking at where they can invest, they will use these international indices to, to uh, benchmark one country against the other. Of where is the ease of doing business easier? Where is it easier? Where is energy cheaper? Where is the legal system one of the best in the world? And if the UAE continues to steadily move up these various international rankings, that will only help encourage greater FDI to flow in. Daniel Richards, Senior Economist at Emirates NBD, thank you very much for your time this morning discussing the new 2031 strategy. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Well, we're saying happy birthday this morning to Jumeirah Group, hospitality company, the Burj people, celebrating their 25th anniversary this week. Very pleased to have in the studio the Jumeirah Chief Commercial Officer, Alex Lee. Alex, it's lovely to see you. Thanks for joining us. 
Good morning. Thank you so much. Emma Brooke, it's quite the time to celebrate, isn't it? So much going on, the reopening of international tourism, indeed what people are calling revenge tourism, most of the world moving around again. What does it mean for you guys? Well, we're enjoying a fantastic year, first of all, Brandy, and it's great to be here in the region when there's so much happening around us. And we've been spending a lot of time over the pandemic investing in so much in the in the Jumeirah portfolio, not only enhancing our guest experiences, but also growing the brand and expanding internationally. Tell me about some of that investment. What has COVID allowed you to do? We're very fortunate with the strength of the brand to be able to sort of double down on that investment. So not only here locally enhancing our guest experiences, particularly investing our physical product, renovations at some of our iconic hotels at the beach, such as Mina Salam, completely reinvigorating our beachfront landscape at Jumeirah Beach Hotel. But as I say, also growing globally. We now have 26 hotels around the world and more than half of our portfolio is international at this stage. We'll get into what you're building here because I've got some questions about a couple of boats I can see coming up on the beach. But before I do, we've also got you in on a morning when tourism's making headlines because of the 2031 growth plan that has been announced. 40 million tourists is what we are aiming for. How do your growth plans dovetail with that growth plan? I'm very proud to say that Jumeirah has always been part of that tourism story for the UAE and the destination of Dubai since the very beginning when the iconic Jumeirah Beach Hotel in Burj Al Arab opened 25 years ago almost and that's what we're celebrating as we come to the end of this year, the 25 celebrations. One of the things that I think is incredibly positive for the destination of Dubai has been all the investment that led us up to the expo. And now we're really going to benefit from that investment. Diversification of the hospitality offering in Dubai has been incredible over the last few years, adding in more three and four star hotels, as well as that luxury top end resort segment where Jumeirah sits. And we've been part of that diversity as well and that, that growth as well. Not only have we expanded our extended stay brand, Jumeirah Living, one of the hotels that opened just throughout the pandemic was actually Jumeirah, Jumeirah Living Marina Gate, but also moving into the lifestyle space as well with Sabil House by Jumeirah in the Greens, which I know you find uh, is a great hotel near you. Stones throw away. Tell me, though, what do you need to do now to help the country house 40 million tourists? A big part of that is about the continued focus on geographic diversity. And we're further expanding our focus on on really all those different markets that generate demand, not only for Dubai, but also for the Jumeirah brand. And so we're very fortunate that we've been able to continue to invest in that market expansion over the last two to three years. And seeing that with the partnership of other you know, other providers into the market like Emirates Airline, I know, I know uh, is a big part of that growth strategy for the destination. We're able to really tap into that inbound demand coming from dis- different destinations. Most recently, one of our big successes has actually been the American market, which we've seen a huge surge from, and particularly that South American market. And I believe the football has been a, a key part of that awareness of, of the region. And my team were only just in South America over the last two weeks doing an extensive roadshow, promoting the destination and promoting the brand. Good. Well, let's talk football then. What are you guys seeing in terms of guests and demands related to the tournament? Firstly, I have to admit, like you, Brandy, I'm not an expert in football. <laughs> but if we zoom out, one of the things that uh, we've been reflecting on has been our expectation versus reality. You know, when, when we started on this journey of promoting the destination linked to football, we very much thought a lot of the luxury demand, particularly that luxury resort demand, 
was going to come from more of the corporate, more of the hospitality, more of the entertainment. <clears throat> Excuse me. And actually, the case is we've enjoyed that, definitely. But actually, we've seen incredibly strong demand from those individual leisure travelers, particularly coming from those longer haul destinations like, like the Americas. Obviously, the food and beverage scene on, on the Dubai landscape is also a key part of that as hospitality organization. We love to help people celebrate those matches and enjoy those matches in our environments. We've got many different locations across Dubai within Jumeirah where you can do that. But the, the, the most stunning one, in my opinion, is, is at Emirates Towers. We have, a, we have a fan zone at Emirates Towers, which allows guests to see that backdrop of the match with the Museum of the Future right, right behind as well, which is truly very stunning. One of the things we were discussing on air this morning after the shock win for, for Saudi over Argentina is how the outcome of the games, who makes it through the stages in the tournament, might affect the hospitality industry. What are you banking on? Well, I'm personally very interested in, in seeing how this plays out, not only just with the further influx of demand coming into Dubai as the, as the, the matches progress, because... That is going to be a key part of it is that we, we're going to expect many, many more arrivals over the weeks ahead as the different game fixtures sort of come to come to reality. But also the amount of following and awareness of, of watching matches is definitely different by country. You know, we, we you know, as you were talking about earlier on in the show this morning around, you know, what's that perfect combination of of matches in terms of the amount of following? That's one key thing. You know, the the Brits versus the Brazilians versus the you know, the Netherlands, et cetera, as you were talking about earlier on in the show, but also how those different nationalities enjoy the celebration and, um, you know, maybe even biologically how thirsty they get <laughs> when they are celebrating. So will it affect how full your fan zones are, what your occupancy rates look like, how much people spend? Well, that's, that's something I'm interested in definitely following. What we've seen so far is that we've had sold out attendance uh, at the early stages of the game, and I feel very positive that that will continue but I, but I am going to be keeping an eye on that to see how we need to continue to evolve the proposition, potentially depending on who gets through to these second and third stages. You mentioned source markets earlier and you mentioned the, uh, the Americans. What impact is a, a stronger dollar having on, on where people are coming from into Jumeirah hotels? It definitely requires us to have a, a mindfulness around some of our geographic source markets. First of all, as I said earlier, we have 26 hotels we're in 10 different countries. We've added hotels into some great locations, particularly this year into the Maldives, into Bahrain, into, into Muscat. And a number of our newer hotels will actually benefit from the strength of a stronger dollar or stronger oil price potentially, potentially that outbound travel into those destinations. But we also are somewhat de-risked now because of the diversity of the different source markets that we have and the ability to continue to invest in developing those emerging markets. We've got just one minute left with you, Alex. We have to keep this tight, unfortunately. But 2023, what are we going to see from you, particularly in relation to those giant boats we see near Jumeirah Beach? Yes, yeah, so what you're referring to is our new resort, Masa Al Arab. It's a, it's a wonderful new addition to our portfolio, a hotel, a residences component, a marina. It's a truly immersive new uh, resort experience that gives us the chance to really show Jumeirah in the next level of luxury for the future. And we're working on the development of that project to be opening later next year. Well, thanks very much for joining us in the studio this morning. And a happy birthday to Jumeirah Group, 25 years. Thank you so much. 
Alex Lee is the Chief Commercial Officer of Jumeirah. We are going to dig into a little bit later in the show as well. More on that 2031 strategy Alex was talking about, looking to double GDP and tourism numbers over the next 10 years. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Talking leadership now on the back of Bob Iger's dramatic return to Disney overnight on Sunday. Bob Chapik was his successor, but after two years in the job, he was fired over the weekend. And Bob Iger, 15-year veteran of Disney, has returned. Joining us in the studio to give us some more perspective on this is the behavioural scientist and professor of leadership at Holt International Business School here in Dubai, Dr. Amanda Nyman-Peters. Dr. Amanda, good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Richard. First of all, what was your reaction? I know you were travelling overseas when you saw the news that Bob Iger was returning to Disney. Well, I think that this could be a very good thing for Disney. Um, and uh, in general, the idea that uh, of a company hiring back a person who had previously been in the job is something that certainly can be a very good idea for the company. Whether or not it will be uh, remains to be seen and is based on different factors. But rehiring a former employee is uh, an action that can be a very good thing for a company. Well, I'm glad to hear that because there are two <laughs> people in the room here, myself and Brandy Scott, who were both boomerangs. We both left Dubai, didn't we, Brandy Scott? You're not so much a boomerang meringue as a yo-yo. You've done it. You've been back and forth into this country more than once. I have indeed. So I, but, um, but we both left Dubai and went to study and uh, went to work elsewhere. And I would argue came back with new More skills, skills. Yes. new experience. Yes. Brandy Scott 2022 is probably better than Brandy Scott 2008. And the same for Richard Dean, I would argue. I mean, we would say that, wouldn't we? But... It's our story and we're sticking to it. But that's exactly the paradigm that I would recommend to a company because most of us, most of the time, are learning on the basis of experience. And so when a um, an employee leaves that company, and, and there's a limit to how much you can learn when you're in the same role in the same company, but to leave that company and go outside and get exposed to new ideas, and particularly if you're going to do additional education, additional development, a person can come back into the same company having actually developed and growing more skills in that period of time than they were away than they would have had if they'd just stayed in the same company doing the same job. So from a company perspective, it can be an excellent move. So you spent, you're in academia now, but you spent a lot of years working in industry. You worked for one of the world's largest multinational FMCG companies in a very senior human resources role. How did you or the organisation approach rehiring people who'd left your organisation, gone to work at Mars or Unilever, and then four or five years later applied for a job? Well, Procter & Gamble actually was a company that was very good at managing people. And so a lot of thought was put into this sort of thing. When you rehire somebody who's been from the, uh, who's been outside, as I say, it can be a great move for the company. But whether or not it will be depends on the, uh, the uh, conditions that you set up for that particular employee. Now, my fear when it comes to Bob Iger is that when a board or a manager expresses the desire to rehire somebody who was previously there, subconsciously what they're likely doing is they're looking at the company and seeing, you know, there's a, a, a hole in my organisation and I want to hire that same person back in to, to plug that hole. And hence I'm expecting them to be sort of just the same person doing just the same thing, right? Whereas that person that you're hiring back in has grown and has changed. And so the way that a company like P&G would look at it is that you need 
need to set up sort of a new paradigm for that person. They're going to want different kinds of challenges or different kinds of conditions or perhaps more freedom or because people do their best work when they're really motivated and engaged and they want to contribute to the organization. Um, it's not a great move if all you're going to do is hire back the same person, exact same job, and then sort of give them, you know, a small pay rise. Um, I know there's a lot of people listening who think, well, I'd do a lot better work if I got paid 10 or 20% more. But in reality, that kind of motivation doesn't typically sustain people. And you'll very quickly be just facing the same sort of problems that cause them to leave in the first place. So the comeback kid story can work really, really well. We saw it. I mean, the most famous recent example is Steve Jobs at Apple. He founded the company, then he was fired, then he returned and Apple became the world's biggest company, depending what day of the week it is. Other successes, Howard Schultz at Starbucks left as CEO, came back and, and has had two successful stints. But it doesn't always go well. I mean, one of the stories, football's front and centre at the moment with the yes. World Cup on, Cristiano Ronaldo, the, you know, one of the world's most famous people, went back to Manchester United. It has not worked out. And within the last 12 hours, his contract has been ripped up. So what, what's the difference Dr. Amanda, between the successes of going back and the failures of going back. As I say, it's whether or not both parties, both the company and the employee, will tend to think in terms of their past experience. And then if they don't take the time to kind of, as I say, once the person's left, they've developed and changed. And if the uh, two parties don't take the time to sort of develop and, and reassess their relationship so that they can put that employee into a position that challenges them and both parties just expect everything to be exactly the same, that's when you'll typically find uh, clashes. So it's difficult to come up with a rule about is it a good idea or is it not it's going to depend on the conditions for that company and that employee well, what about from the perspective of the employee that we've talked about mm. it from the perspective of the employer but Bob Iger had an incredible tenure at Disney 15 years there from 2005 he did three transformative deals there he bought Pixar from Steve Jobs, actually. He bought Lucasfilm, the, the Star Wars franchise, and he bought Marvel, and they have been remarkable successes. He's 71 years old now. What's the risk that his legacy is tainted when Disney is facing a, a challenging time at the moment? For example, streaming TV is challenging. What, what's, Bob, what's going through Bob Iger's mind? Well, there is, of course, a risk. I mean, the conditions in the market have changed enormously and what's happened even with, uh, with uh, media and with online streaming services has changed a great deal. And so he's facing a huge risk of potentially not being successful. But I think he's done something very clever. If I understand correctly, he's limited his new term to two years, something like that. Um, and that's a clever way to put a limit on it. So even if things don't go... Uh, as an, and aren't rewarding for him. Um, there's, you know, the, 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 the negative experience can only go on for so long. So I think that was a very clever move on his behalf. Uh, finally, in terms of advice to people who are not in the C-suite, who are just, you know, mm -hmm. everyday employees about potentially going back to an old employer, what would you say to them? If someone's sitting on their sofa watching yes. on Dubai One TV or driving to work this morning, they've left a company, it's not really working out at the new employer and they're considering going back. And we have maybe a couple of colleagues for whom this is a live discussion at the yes. moment. What would you say to them? 20 seconds. Think very carefully about what are the conditions that you'd like to work 
work under. Don't just be um, uh, mesmerized by the idea of a little bit more pay because, as I say, that kind of a condition isn't something that tends to sustain somebody's motivation. So think uh, as you've left the company, you can think about what you've lost, what you've gained. Think about what would be the ideal working conditions and see if you can negotiate those. Dr. Amanda Nyman-Peters, Professor of Leadership at Holt International Business School here in Dubai. Really appreciate your time this morning. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.